Welcome to Farm and Fiddle, the radio program that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. on KOPN 89.5 FM and KOPN.org. And it's where the birds and the bees and the donkeys and the fiddles all come together. I'm your host, Margot McMillan, and we're all glad that you're here, too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this extremely important podcast. This is an interview with Andriana Natsoulis, and it aired on Farm and Fiddle on June 1st, 2022. Andriana is the campaign director for Don't Cage Our Oceans. And if you're a, a land dweller like me, you don't know a lot about the oceans, and you certainly don't know about CAFOs in the oceans where they are beginning to raise fish they call fin fish, like grouper and even tuna, as you'll hear in this podcast. I think this is a really important campaign that Andriana is launching, partly because of the emphasis on how these CAFOs will affect other industries, tourism, sport fishing, food quality, Besides the not-for-profits that we're used to, like environmental groups. So, without anything else, let's just go to this interview with Andriana Natsoulis, who is campaign director at Don't Cage Our Oceans. Well, Andriana, I am so glad to talk to you, and congratulations on the success of your latest campaign. Maybe you can start out by just telling us, you know, we're here in mid-Missouri, so we, we don't have much uh, understanding of the oceans. <laughs> and so maybe you can kind of tell us what is, what is fish farming and how does it work? Yeah. So um, what Don't Cage Our Oceans focuses on is offshore fin fish farming. So there's a lot of different fish farming going on right now. Um, but what we are focused on is offshore fin fish farming. So when we talk about offshore, we're talking, usually it's three miles away from the coast. Um, unless you're in the Gulf of Mexico, then it'll be closer uh, to the coast. And so what we're talking about are these huge submersible nets or pin pens that are jam-packed with fish little tiny fish, they stock them with these little tiny fish, jam pack them and um, raise them in these offshore fin fish cages. And when you, just like what you experience in the middle of the country with confined animal feeding operations, whenever you put a lot of an animal in one space inside a cage or inside a pen, um, you have a whole host of problems associated. Um, you have issues around pollution, right? You have mm -hmm. issues around stress and disease of the animals. Um, 
And so another common, what we really call these offshore fin fish farms are confined animal feeding operations at sea. They're uh -huh. floating CAFOs. And um, so we are very concerned about pollution. Um, there is waste, just like you have in these CAFOs on land, right? Mm -hmm. You have waste from intensive fish, fin fish farming. So that includes excess feed, um, fish excrement, um, and any other chemicals that are used on the fish or on the pens, because the pens, you have to keep them clean. Mm -hmm. um, and so different kind of anti-fouling agents will be applied to the exterior of the, of the cages. And that just goes off into the water. So we have uh, water pollution impacting water quality um, from these pens. Um, and the other thing to think about, I don't know if you ever go to a fish fry, do you ever, are Friday fish fries a popular thing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, there are, when you have these fish that would be raised in these offshore cages, feed, what's in the feed? Whatever's in the feed of those fish, you are also going to be eating if you were to have these at your Friday fish fry. Mm -hmm. So more and more alternative kind of um, compounds are being used as fish feed. So what does that mean? So that means that we're talking about soy and corn, the same industrial feeds that are used for land-based livestock, land-based animals. Um, and what's in this corn and soy? A lot of it's genetically modified. And so we're concerned about the new compounds of fish feed that is still going to use wild fish and then mix it with corn and soy. And when you're mixing wild fish, you're at this point using at least one pound of wild fish to raise one pound of farmed fish. So proponents of offshore fin fish farming say that this is a great fish, you know, farmed fish is a great, great way to relieve the pressure on wild fish populations. Well, it's not because they're still using at least one pound of wild fish to feed one pound of farmed fish. So that's one problem. That's one concern that we have. There's a lot of fish escapes. We see this in the salmon um, farms that are closer to shore. A lot of fish escape. They mix with the wild populations. When they mix with the wild populations, they bring um, their diseases with them. They bring their genetically different, not necessarily genetically modified, but they're genetically different. And then if they start interbreeding with the wild fish populations, it completely changes the, um, the, the, the makeup of specific species. And mm -hmm. so we're concerned about being more vulnerable to different pests and disease. Um, that's another concern that we have around um, farmed fish. Another issue, <clears throat> as I described it, there are these big submersible cages and marine mammals 
will come to the cage because they see this fish and these fish inside and think, oh, that's a really nice dinner. Mm-hmm. And then what ends up happening is that these marine mammals will become entangled in the cages and they'll drown. We've seen this happen with Hawaiian monk seals. And um, there is just a lot of information recently, news around seals um, being attracted to the salmon farms up in British Columbia. So if we love, even if we live in the middle of the country, we still love those marine mammals. Um, And it's a concern for their safety and welfare when we have these massive submersible submersible uh, cages in the open ocean. And the other thing I just would like to add is that they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. So it's hard to really know exactly what's going on unless we have, um, we're, we're able to monitor them. And we believe that is by design to some degree out of sight, we don't know exactly what's happening. So we have to be able to monitor them. Um, And that is a challenge because they are far offshore. So there are, uh, you know, oftentimes um, when I speak with our members who are farmers, uh, we Don't Cage Our Oceans is a coalition of organizations and we have farm members. National Family Farm Coalition is a member. Family Farm Defenders is a member, Farm Forward is a member. So we have a lot of farm members Mm -hmm. of the coalition because what we are fighting is floating CAFOs. Mm. And what do we support as an alternative? We support sustainable aquaculture systems. So that's a lot um, to give you a, I tried to give you a quick, background, broad brush, description of what these fish farms are. Um, so yeah, so that's that's a quick overview of what they look like. Excellent. Well, you did a great job of describing it. Um, what kind of fish are in these hmm. giant cages? Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of different fish that they're growing. I mean, there's one facility in Hawaii called Ocean Era, and they are raising what they have branded um, kapachi, Kona kapachi. That's in fact, Almaco Jack. Um, So Almaco Jack, you don't really think about Almaco Jack on your Friday fish fry, but it is a fish that is um, popular in coastal communities that do depend on the ocean and fish for protein and food. Grouper, that's another fish um, that's raised in these facilities. Tuna is more tuna ranching. They call it ranching. It's open. It's not exactly the same, but they are farming tuna at sea. And the thing that I find so frightful about that is that tuna, you know, tuna are like the buffalo, right? The buffalo are the ones who travel hundreds of thousands of miles, right? They need that space. Tuna are highly migratory species. They need to be able to move. Um, They need space. They're not a species to be Mm -hmm. farm raised. Um, Cod, they are raising cod in these facilities, not in the US though, in other countries. Arctic char is another one that uh, listeners may be familiar with. And that's another species that's being raised in in these in these cages. Huh. So you said that the cages are sited like three miles from shore, more mm-hmm. or less. 
Um, can you see them from shore? Absolutely not. No. Mm-hmm. So um, federal waters are from three miles off of shore to 200 miles. So these, what we at Don Cager Oceans is focused on is that space. Mm-hmm. You can't see that space. That's pretty far off. Um, as I said, in the Gulf of Mexico, because there's so many states and the Gulf of Mexico is not that large, the federal waters and the state waters aren't as as easily um, delineated. But even there, you're not going to see them from shore. But if you go on a whale watching boat or if you go on a cruise boat, you would be able to see them. Hmm. And then how big, I'm just trying to get a sense of how big these things are. Like, are they half a mile by a half a mile or are they a hundred yards by a hundred yards or, or smaller? How, how I mean, it really, de- it, it depends on the facility. Um, they are probably about uh, if trying to think about what an average one would be, I would say that it would probably be about um, let's say half a mile by half wow. a mile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's massive and then are they entire is it a cube so is the bottom um also netted or closed it's somewhere? it's conical shaped so it's kind of it's it's mm, it's like a sphere ah. it looks like a sphere and so it's um it's rounded uh-huh. it's rounded with edges wow Kind so, of like maybe like a honeycomb could be a good analogy, like the you know the hexagon shape of a honeycomb, uh-huh. except much larger. Wow! <laughs> and in the water, <laughs> yeah, it's just hard. Okay, so um, if if three miles out and you can't see them, if you're if you're using the beaches or you live on a beach or you know. Uh, you're, you you want to go sailing or something and, and get a boat and go out. Um, does that pollution come toward this toward the shore? Would that? I mean, it, it can. Um, you know, dilution is not a solution. It can come to shore. We we are still doing research. I can't definitively tell you mm-hmm. how they impact water quality, but we are really concerned. Um, especially with the Gulf of Mexico, where there is a research facility that an offshore fin fish farm research facility that is still going through the permitting process, but it's been stalled. Um, And so, you know, the Gulf of Mexico has these algae blooms, right? The red tides. And a lot of that is a result of runoff from agriculture coming down the Mississippi. So if we already know that there are these algae blooms in the Gulf of Mexico as a result of agricultural runoff, um, we're inclined to believe that a similar impact could happen as a result of the chemicals and the antibiotics uh, and the and the feed, which is coming from the fish um, through their excrement and excess. You know, we, we do believe that it could be similar, but we have not definitively yet conducted research, but we are in the process of, um, of looking more closely into that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so tell us 
about the legal system that's uh, around this that I know that um, you have been writing letters and <laughs> trying to get the attention and getting the attention, actually succeeding in getting the attention of the Biden administration. And if you could just sort of outline how the uh, legislation started to allow these things and, and what you guys are doing and how it's going. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, so there are a lot of different um, activities happening right now at the federal level. Um, in May of 2020, Trump had signed an executive order called 13921, promoting seafood competitiveness and economic growth. And we, which you just um, alluded to, Don't Cage Our Oceans, coordinated a letter to President Biden signed by nearly 100, over 175 organizations and businesses asking President Biden to revoke that executive order because that executive order essentially, not essentially, it does, it does. It gives the green light to agencies. So that is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the Army Corps of Engineers to just start permitting these facilities without any government oversight and without any pu substantial public input. And they can grant a lease for 25 years to a company to, 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 to build one of these facilities for 25 years, and that's it. So for 25 years, they can be operating these farms um, without, without really any oversight. And so we're, we're very concerned that this executive order has given the green light to the agencies um, to do this. One thing that um, the Army Corps of Engineer right now is doing is they're looking at creating one permit a nationwide permit to any facility, to any, any site. That means that all the Army Corps of Engineers has to do is say, okay, we're allowing you, we did this nationwide permit, now anyone can go out and um, develop an offshore finfish farm without any oversight. Um, so that's really scary. That means that there's no environmental impact assessment, there's no public input, and this is all as a result of that executive order that we are asking Biden to revoke. So, Andriana, are you saying that that one company would have like a permit to go to any ocean and, uh, you know, any of our oceans that, that our nation touches and um, and put in one of these? CAFOs? That's right. Is that yeah. what you said? That's, oh that's the intent. You're right. So the Army Corps of Engineer would create a permit that's nationwide that says, okay, now you can go and you can, you can put your facility wherever you want in wow. U.S. waters. So there's no oversight at all? It hasn't happened yet, but okay. that is the intent. That wow. is the intent of the Army Corps of Engineers, and that is 
allowed under this executive order that we are asking the Biden administration or Biden to revoke. Mm -hmm. And so we're not there yet. And as I said, we had, you know, over 175 businesses and organizations um, ask for this executive order to be revoked. And it still can be. And if he does revoke it, then that one nationwide permit will not work, will not happen, will not go into, will not be legal. What kind of businesses have signed on with these letters? It, yeah. it, it seems to me there's a lot of business would be impacted. We have restaurants, we have, in, we have chefs, we have um, fishing vessels, we have some um, um, fishermen marketing associations. Um, we have some um, tourist guides, especially down in the Gulf of Mexico. Some some rec recreational businesses, you know, who take people out to go fishing um, while they're on vacation, and you know, the Keys, Florida Keys, for example. So it's 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 a issue that touches a lot of different people, recreational fishermen, um, you know, tourist expedition, you know, water expeditions, commercial fishermen, we have um, environmentalists, we have farmers, um, we have a we have scientists, we have a lot of different interests, constituents who believe that this is um, not good for our oceans, not good for our environment, not good for our fish populations, not good for our people. We also have food safety organizations signing on because it's not going to be good for our health. Um, so it's a pretty big issue that reaches a lot of people no matter where you live. And of course, this is one earth and one very small earth that we keep beating up. <laughs> you know, Andriana, um, we think, I mean, I think of the oceans because I usually just stand on the edge of them and look and, and they're just humongous. I mean, you, mm. can't, you can't explain how huge the oceans are. And yet we're finding now that, um, for example, they're they've just been treated as dumps and mm -hmm. all of this plastic that's out there that uh, is, is mucking, mucking things up. Um, yeah. And, you know, just to, to, to build on that for a moment, I was talking about this executive order that we're urging Biden to revoke. Um, part of this executive order is for one of the agencies called the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, they're also the ones that come out with the water, uh, with the weather um, um, the statements. Um, part of the EO has asked NOAA, part of the executive order has been to request that NOAA create these atlases or maps of where would be the best place for these facilities, these fish farms. And so far, NOAA has created two atlases, one for the Gulf of Mexico and one for Southern California. The one in Southern California includes two of the, they're called aquaculture opportunity areas. 10 aquaculture opportunity areas in Southern California. And um, one of them is in close proximity 
to a Superfund site where DDT had been dumped. So this also gives us great pause. If the agency isn't even really paying attention to where they're recommending these facilities go, we're not even talking about, you know, the, the destruction to the environment or, you know, the tourist community or the commercial fishing or the recreational fishing. We're also talking about people's health. So that means that fish are going to be raised in close proximity to a Superfund site. Mm. So when you talk about floating plastics, there, there's a lot that has been dumped into the oceans. And at this point, what we need to be doing is looking at cleaning them up, not adding more pollution. Mm -hmm. And DDT, of course, uh, well, there's so many side effects to DDT that we, we could spend an hour just, mm -hmm. um, just listing them. And it doesn't, it doesn't degrade. So it's still there, still mm -hmm. being released. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe tell us this tell us a success story because I know, you know, there's well, one success good stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, one success story is that we, you know, we are organizing people where where we have, you know, over 175 groups who are urging Biden to revoke the executive order. Um there are there is also a bill in both the House and the Senate called the Aqua Act, which would also allow for these facilities. There are no co-sponsors aside from the ones who originally introduced it. It is the same bill that has been introduced probably four or five times over the past 20 years, and it's not going anywhere. That says something. That means that there are no legs for this. Although the industry supporting it is growing stronger and stronger. So you have um, like Cargill is part of the industry supporting this, but you also find on land-based agriculture, um, controlling our land-based agriculture, you have Cisco. But so that the industry is getting stronger, but I do have to say on the bright side is that because as a coalition over 20, over the past 20 years, coalitions in various forms under various names, people working together, organizations working together. We've been fighting it. And I do believe that we will fight it again, but this time once and for all. So we also are strengthening our support of sustainable aquaculture. Sustainable aquaculture like oysters and mussels and seaweed. And there are some land-based sustainable aquaculture systems. There's recirculating systems that are closed systems where you can grow both fish and um, produce. There are recirculating systems in Missouri. There are um, some sustainable aquaculture fish farms in the middle of the country. So there are systems that are scaled and cited appropriately so that they are community, uh, they benefit the community. They don't benefit somebody far away. Um, who has no care or interest in how the fish were raised. So there are sustainable systems and we're seeing those pop up more and more throughout the country inland and some sustainable ones in the coast as well, like oyster and, and, um, and um, mussels. 
So okay. it's not all doom and gloom. We can do it well. We can do it with intention. We can do it so that we're feeding our people, our community, and we're really building local economies. Wonderful. How can we find out more? Well, you can go to our website, which is don'tcageouroceans.org. But I do have to say that we're in the middle of updating it. Oh. And so we're going to keep getting more. Um, we'll have more information on it um, in the coming weeks. But I advise you to go now anyway to take a first look around and then come back again and come back again. And, um, and um, there's a lot of information that people can get on the website. Super. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. You've done a great job educating us with uh, this extremely complicated to, to me as a non-ocean person, complicated situation. Well, thank you, Margo. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you. We'll talk again. Thanks, Andriana. Okay, thank you. And that was an interview with Andriana Natsoulis. Uh, campaign director for Don't Cage Our Oceans. And I encourage you to go to their website to, to learn more. Farm and Fiddle airs on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Central Time on KOPN 89.5 FM in Mid-Missouri and KOPN.org on the World Wide Web. I'm your host, Margot McMillan, and thanks for listening to this podcast. I encourage you to check out the rest of our podcasts. There's probably a lot of stuff in there that you'll find interesting. Mm-hmm.